Please welcome to the stage Teague Hunter and the Wall Street Talks panel. Uh, woo! Winner, winner! <laughs> I feel like we need a trophy or something, right? Something. Okay. Like, we should have been carrying Marcel on our shoulders before we came out here. No? All right. Thank you guys for coming. Hopefully, uh, and maybe the room will fill up. Hopefully, you guys know everybody. Uh, Marcel Verbas, CEO of Xenia. John Stanners, uh, CEO of Summit. Scott Trubilco, uh, Blackstone, and B. Reed and all their other stuff. And Justin, Apple. Got that? So I have three publicly traded people up here. Did I mess that up? I think I might have. OK, uh, Scott, talk to me about redemptions. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, he knows that. It's off limits. Um, so, <laughs> see, that was his fault. So, uh, Wall Street guys, so you guys have tons of visibility into the space, and I think our topic is probably going to be whatever we just saw on the news this morning. But the obvious sort of thing we're all watching is these bank failures and what's happening, right? So, we got the SBVB failure, we've got the Credit Suisse. Uh, my question, Justin, I'll start with you, but are these canaries in the coal mine? Is there going to be a bigger problem, or is this just a blip and this too shall pass? I, I, I think it's too soon to tell on it. Uh, certainly not, not the first of the major incidents we've seen. Um, and I, you know, I think all of us can agree it's been a rocky recovery post-COVID. Uh, there was a lot of money that came into the system. We've struggled with high inflation. Um, the Fed has taken very aggressive action um, and signaled, in, in essence, that they're looking to cause a recession in order to bring uh, inflation down. That said, um, you know, the, the economy has been stubborn, and we've continued to see strong consumer spending. Um, the challenge, really, when we look at the blips, the major blips that we've hit, uh, a lot of them seem to have one thing in common, and that's confidence. Um, and really, more than fundamentals for the banks, um, and, and you know, the banks and, and the industry as a whole has struggled with a confidence issue. And, and uh, you know, what happens with banks in that, that type of situation is people pull their money out, um, and that exacerbates issues that may not have been a problem otherwise. Um, interestingly, in our office, all of our bankers um, have called to assure us that they have no issues, um, which makes us feel really comfortable, right? Um, <clears throat> no issues, and that they're seeing their deposits increase. Um, but you know, I, I think the, the wait and see will be, um, what does the Fed do in response to this? Um, do we begin to see inflation come down? Or um, to the extent we continue to see high inflation, um, my sense is the Fed continues to act aggressively, and we see more of these little things around the edges. Um, to date, we're not seeing any impact on our business directly, um, you know, and, and I think that's a positive, and I'd guess that most of the people in the room are experiencing something similar in that leisure demand continues to be strong. We continue to see uh, improvement in business uh, travel. Um, but there are, there are all these things on the periphery that are, are making... Um, making elements of our business more challenging. Uh, such as? <laughs> What's that? Such as? Such as? Well, I, I mean, interest rates. Um, yeah. Interest rates have gone up materially. Um, and now, with some of the banks in trouble, there's limited financing available. Um, and to the extent it is available, it's more expensive. And so to the extent 
people need financing uh, to grow their business or, or to pursue transactions, those transactions are getting a little bit more challenging. Um, you know, we continue to deal with inflation in our business that's pushed wages higher um, and other costs, uh, you know, like utilities and, and now property taxes and insurance. Um, and, you know, the trick will be over the coming year, uh, you know, whether or not we can grow rate um, at a, a sufficiently high pace to offset the increased expenses. But, but there are a lot of things. I, you know, I, I think our business has never been easy, but the level of complexity um, of our business continues to ratchet up and, and I, I think requires more of us in order to, to achieve success. Scott, to you, how concerned are you? Well, it's interesting. You've got a Wall Street panel, Main Street panel, and interestingly, yeah. I think some of the things that are going on are a little bit bifurcated between impacts to Wall Street and impacts to Main Street. Because if you think about the too big to fail banks, very heavily concentrated in Wall Street, big corporate. The small, medium-sized banks, very concentrated in small and medium-sized business. The lifeblood of most of the commercial real estate funding market is through regional banks and local bank market. 60, 70% of that market comes from that. I'm sure a lot of the people in this room tap into those resources and clearly, however this falls out, is gonna be an impact on liquidity in that system. And it's gonna take some time for that to digest itself and, and, and work through it. And so I think the functioning of that market is gonna be impacted over the near term. And that's gonna have an impact on the level of activity that we're all gonna see in the business which has flow on effects for the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, this is probably a question for Main Street, I'll ask them, but Justin said all his banks are getting deposits. Well, it's because he's the Wall Street banks. They say they are. Right? Yes. What do you think's happening? Does that mean the opposite? There's a rush to quality right now, in there's, theory. There's definitely a rush to quality, and obviously, with Yellen coming out overnight and saying that there's going to be broader action, they're trying to quill that and give people some calm. Because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have, have, have ties into a lot of these banks where you're well beyond the insurable limit through businesses that we own right. um, personally. And frankly, I mean, I personally hadn't even really thought about a $250,000 limit up until a week ago. And, then we're sitting there scrambling and looking through our businesses and trying to figure out where we might have exposure. And so a lot of that is happening real time and it's hard to insulate against that unless something's done at a broader level. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are you doing about it? Glad to hear that's a personal problem. So what are you doing about it? <laughs> what am I doing about yeah. it? Um, well, I have a construction loan with one of these banks right now that I'm trying to figure out if my loan documents are tight. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, Has anyone not funded? Has anybody experienced a bank not funding a project? I haven't, not impacted us, but I have heard of these things happening in the last 10 days where people have been hard on deals and banks that they thought they had committed financing from have walked into deals. And so it is, it is happening. Um, and I think it's gonna continue to be a bigger problem going forward for the next little while. I'll, yeah, I'll buy that. John? Yeah, you know, I, I think I'd start just by saying, yeah, I think Justin said it right. Like, we're kind of in the middle of it. Um, it's really hard to know how this all shakes out. Um, I, I do think, you know, I think, I think the regulators have to be very careful not to create this kind of two-tiered banking structure, which feels like what's happening right now, where um, there's this flight to quality and a, a, a more implicit guarantee from the Fed if your deposits are in the four systemically important banks um, versus the regional banks. And I think... Anytime you have this type of banking failure, there's almost going to be, there almost has to be some sort of regulatory response. Um, and that regulatory response is likely to be something that restricts capital. Um, and, 
you know, Scott alluded to this, you know, I read this morning, I think it's 80% of commercial real estate loans sit in banks um, with assets under $250 billion. It's a really important threshold in terms of where kind of regulatory levels set. And so um, I do think that this is, you know, net net um, is a negative from a credit perspective generally for the commercial real estate space. It also, again, as just alluded to, it's deflationary um, just by nature. And so how this alters the Fed's path from an interest rate increase uh, perspective, we'll, we'll get some level of clue tomorrow, but you know, potentially changes that some on the margin. I, I think you know, the last thing I'd point out, I think it's an important piece to point out because I think there's still some scars from 2008, 2009, the last time we went through a banking crisis. And I think it's important to draw this distinction around the fact that what we don't have today is a credit worthiness, credit quality issue generally within the banks. This is much more driven by asset and liability duration mismatches. And if interest rates weren't five and they were three, these problems would kind of go away overnight. And so um, not to minimize the effects and the potential knock-on effects to our business of this um, down the road, but this is a much different problem in that these banks don't have a problem until they have a problem. And so much of this is tied to psychology and confidence that um, I think it creates a very challenging process for the regulators, the Fed, and in, 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 in specifically around walking this fine line between making sure the regulations are, are appropriate and also having this deflationary environment while still trying to core inflation with interest rate increases. So I'm going to echo what you were saying. So last time, right, 08 GFC, we had part of the problem, right, in our industry, we remember we had 80, 85 percent plus LTV loans on appraisals that were not entirely accurate, <laughs> right? So a lot of fundamentals that were that, that had problems. Today, we don't have that. For the last however many years, we've had 60, 65% LTVs. We've had fundamentally low interest rates. So we should be, the banks should be in a much better financial position, correct? Right. I think, I think that's absolutely right. Look, I think the banks are in a much better position. The reality is like no bank can withstand all their deposits coming out <laughs> overnight. And so it um, doesn't matter how well capitalized the bank is. And I think that's what you're, what everybody's trying to, create the confidence and the Fed hasn't come out and just said, hey, look, we're gonna backstop every deposit. Now, if they all go into the four systemically large banks, they're getting that implicitly. And so it's this kind of circular reference where if they don't have to do it, it's better. Um, and if they can just do it after there's a failure like they did with Signature or with Silicon Valley Bank, that's, that's better. Um, but this really is kind of a crisis of confidence um, as much as it is anything else today. Marcel? Yeah, I'm gonna add some brilliant nuggets after what these guys have Yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> um, no, I obviously agree with what, what's been said. I think it just shows what's, what kind of a tightrope the Fed has been walking as far as trying to balance this and trying to get to the soft landing, which may or may not be achievable. So I do think, to your point, we're obviously largely in a much better place than where we were in 08, 09, so not expecting that type of carnage. That being said, particularly for a lot of people here in the room, I'm sure there'll be some issues with refinancings that are coming due and uh, maybe this tightening of the commercial, uh, you know, commercial real estate financing could create some issues overall as it relates to our space. Now, of course, you know, we Wall Street types look at that as opportunity. So we, we look at it and say, you know, that might be an opportunity for us to, to be able to be a little bit more acquisitive than we've been over the last couple of years to the extent that there's just more product that's coming to market. So again, selfishly looking at that a little bit more, you know, from our personal perspective and our corporate perspective, that there might be some opportunities coming out of this. Justin, you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I think it's interesting if we look back at the great financial crisis, a number of public companies um, were, I, I think in hindsight, 
over levered. Um, you know, and, and I think coming out of the, the financial crisis, public companies and, and investors really reinforced this, meaningfully brought down their leverage levels, and, and I think as a result, we're in a better position by and large than they would have otherwise been to come through uh, COVID. Um, but, but those same lessons did not pass through to private companies, and, and private companies are significantly more levered and more reliant on debt. And you know, I, I think for that reason, to the extent we see disruption in the near term, um, the public companies are in a unique position to be acquisitive uh, in that most of us have um, significant liquidity. Um, you know, e either uh, there are a number of companies that have cash on their balance sheet or access, ready access to lines of credit. Um, so don't have a need to go um, and get permanent financing for, for individual transactions. Um, and uh, where we don't use high levels of debt um, in an environment where debt is cheap and readily available, we're, we're often at a competitive disadvantage uh, from a cost of capital standpoint relative to players that are willing to use higher levels of leverage. Um, you know, looking forward, uh, I think really already with interest rates taking up, uh, we're in a much better position to be competitive on deals um, than we have been for the past uh, several years. And going forward to the extent we see, uh, you know, debts, uh, debt less readily available than it is now, not, not only more expensive, but less readily available, um, that would further uh, position us to be, um, you know, uniquely positioned to be acquisitive um, in an environment where there's less money available for everyone. So I'm going to pick on you guys, the public guys. I mean, on one hand, you've had cash even up to this point, the first half of this year, second half of last year was not the best. You could have, should have, would have been spending it. You haven't been. Now, not to talk about your stock price, but everyone's stock price is down. So you're trading, you know, one, why is it down? You worried about your fundamentals or no, no, we're still going to go buy. And I know I'm saying a lot, but are you going to go buy with a low stock price? Like it's tough to do that. It's the oxymoron. You can't really go. Well, I, I think it's important to note, first of all, we've all been acquisitive. So I, I, I think none of us have sat on the sidelines. Agree. I, I think we've been disciplined in, in our execution, and none of us have taken leverage up materially in order to pursue acquisitions. Um, so we've been active in the market buying deals. Um, certainly, to the extent we see declines in our share price, that provides us with an alternative um, you know, to, to buying assets. Um, to some extent, over time, those are momentary disruptions. Um, and the markets tend to be roughly aligned um, over a more extended period of time, um, meaning that to the extent we were to see uh, a long-term disruption in share prices for public companies, it, that, that would likely be an indicator that there would be disruption in private market valuations as well. But in the short term, certainly, you know, it's easy for us to buy or reinvest in our own portfolio by buying our own shares, right. um, and, and it's a portfolio we know. Um, but I, I uh, you know, it, that's balanced with an opportunity um, to take advantage of, of uh, you know, a moment in time where there are fewer buyers for assets and, and where we might be able to pick up um, assets that, that, you know, might otherwise not be available. And your stock's trading at an 11 cap or something crazy. I made that up. I've not looked. Don't quote me. No. But I, it is. I mean, obviously, uh, we're talking about so many opportunities. It doesn't mean there's no challenges on our side. I mean, our cost of capital is obviously higher than what it was, too. Right. Our, our interest rate is higher. Our stock rise is obviously not where we all think it should be. <laughs> and, um, and there's a couple of things that play into that. I mean, it, it is higher interest rates. It is someone's, a lot of uncertainty in the market. We had uncertainty about what the second half of the year was going to look like you know, a month ago, probably even more so after the last 14 days. Mm -hmm. So there is some of that that's clearly priced into where we're all trading at this point. 
Uh, and it does, you know, in our case, and, and I know for these guys too, it, it does make it much more appealing to look at some alternative uses of capital, whether that's buying back your own shares, whether it's investing in some of your own properties where you think there are some outsized ROI opportunities. So those are the type of things that we obviously need to balance in this kind of environment. Scott, where are you guys borrowing today? Where are you getting your debt from? Well, we haven't in the yeah. hotel space executed on a deal since the middle of last year. So it's been about nine months now. So we haven't, we haven't actually tapped into the debt markets. We are looking at some refinancings right now. CMBS market is starting to show some signs of functioning, although the last two weeks, I think, have set that back a little bit. Um, but for asset classes that are in favor, which I would put hospitality into that, um, there, is some, there is some depth to the market, and importantly, the AAA part of the market, which was really challenging a year ago, has come back. Um, I mean, people are looking at 250 spreads on a 5% base rate for a AAA exposure, so getting paid 7.5% feels pretty good, so I'm not surprised that that market's come back. That's probably the easiest place to go. I think the balance sheet banks, a lot of them have cleared their decks and are feeling like they're in a better place and, are, and we're open for business up until two weeks ago. Everything's caveated up until two weeks ago uh, <laughs> because a lot changed in the last two weeks. So we don't see today debt as a barrier to doing a deal. I think the challenge right now, and we've bid on a number of deals over the course of the last few weeks, there's an expectation from counterparties that they feel like they're maybe getting taken advantage of because of the environment we're in. There's a lot of volatility, there's a lot of uncertainty. I think they sit there and think, wouldn't I get paid more if I just waited until there's some certainty that, that, that appears? When is that? How long do they have to wait? Well, we all thought we were waiting for inflation to turn the corner, and we still are waiting for inflation to turn the corner. And now we're also trying to figure out what's gonna happen with the banking system. So I think until we get clarity on those two things, we're going to be in this phase. Hmm. I agree. I, I mean, interestingly, and I highlighted this um, earlier, fundamentals on our business continue to be strong. And that, that's kind of um, the dichotomy that, that people are working with. On, on the one hand, fundamentals are good. Um, you know, people are producing strong cash flow at the asset level. But on the other hand, there's a lot of macro noise and, and some uncertainty as to how that will play out long term for our industry both in terms of transactions and you know, to the extent there, there's any impact on consumers, how, how significant that impact will be. Yeah, John, are you still happy with the fundamentals of your assets? Yeah, the business is performing really well. No, cons no I don't mean none, but yeah. not a panic. You know, look, we, we, we don't have the longest booking window. Uh, we don't have a lot of group business that I can look out and say, this is what the business is gonna look like in September, November, or early next year. I think what we can see visibility-wise business performing really well, the industry's performing well, you know, we'll have the best March we've ever had as an industry. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we've seen any cracks in that. It can obviously turn, I think we're all mindful of how quickly and how dynamic this business is, but you know, where we sit today, leisure travel is still really strong. I'll, I'll continue to say, I think where we're seeing the largest growth in our business is midweek. It's, it's stuff like this, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's group has been good, it's improving. Um, the corporate BT side of the business continues to, to ramp up off of what has been a much lower base. So um, we're still waiting on some of the international travel to come back. So I, I think generally as we think about the demand profile of the business, um, most of the segments of demand are, are either at peak or continuing to grow. And we just haven't seen any real cracks in it. Marcel, you're, you're 
more group, full service resort. What are you guys seeing? Yeah, we're, you know, historically we're about 30% group in our portfolio, so that's clearly changed a little bit over the last couple of years, but leisure has been as strong as it has been, but group is looking good for this year. You know, we came into the year pretty well ahead of where we ended up last year and not too far behind where we were in 19, and so we're seeing some pretty good momentum on the group side, and, and I would echo what John has been saying uh, as far as where you're seeing in the midweek occupancies, and we definitely see a lot of strengthening there over the last quarter or two. So, you know, you look at all of these things, and, and I would echo what these guys said, it's, it's fundamentally we're in a pretty good spot. And you look back, if anyone would have told you in May of 2020 that by the end of 22 you're essentially back to where you were in 19, we'd all be jumping for joy, right? So, so we've had a pretty nice recovery, but still with, you know, pockets of demand that still need to kind of start building back up. So, you know, I don't want to belittle some of these issues, but we've all gone through the absolute worst thing that right. we could have gone through as an industry back in 2020. And we learned a lot of lessons in 08, 09, like Justin pointed out, where, you know, in our cases, we obviously used that knowledge to come up with much better balance sheets, and which allowed us to get out of COVID and start coming back to where we are today again, um, much more easily than we otherwise would have. So again, kind of looking at this from our perspective, you know, I don't, I obviously don't love a tightening of, of, of credit being out there, higher interest rates and all those kind of things, but I don't mind supply being down for some number of years. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so for us, we're looking at for the next few years and saying, you know, these overall fundamentals actually look pretty good to us. And, you know, could this impact the pace of the recovery as business transient and group? Yeah, certainly. Um, but in the long run, I think we're really well positioned as an industry and certainly some of the public companies that are represented here. Agree. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, we I'm gonna put words in our mouth. We sort of had our Armageddon, right, in our industry. So, and then we've come out of it, we've survived, a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And so now, and this is sort of before this credit crisis, this new banking issue, but okay, so we're down a point or three, who cares, <laughs> right? When you were down 100%, that was a problem. It doesn't get much worse than having to close down all of your hotels, right? So, yeah. Right, <laughs> all of them. Yeah. I mean, personally, you can go through worse things, but from a professional <laughs> standpoint, it doesn't get much worse than closing down all of your hotels. So, so I, yes, I do think obviously there's impact here and we wanna see how this kind of plays out and you know, I agree with Scott. I mean, we're, now we're looking at these two things and saying we gotta get past that. Who knows what the next crisis is? I mean, it does seem like in today's environment, unfortunately, Teague, you and I used to be some of the youngest people in these panels, yeah, now we're right. probably right. the oldest ones. So. Uh, but, you know, when you've seen this, you know, things are just happening more quickly. You know, mm -hmm. The cycles happen more quickly. There's more information out there. People panic a little bit more quickly, too, because of the information that's out there. So you never know where the next crisis is going to come from. But, you know, overall, again, fundamentally, you know, balance sheet-wise, where the industry is, you know, we feel pretty good about this compared to where we were a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, if I can sell my stock or move my, all the money in my bank account at the click of a button, you can have a run on a bank pretty quickly, right? Right, and, and, and John pointed this out, obviously. I mean, there's no bank in the world that can withstand everyone wanting to pull their deposits out tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, it's obviously there needs to be confidence about the banking system, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll get past this and the confidence will be restored. I think the challenges have shifted for the time being from being very inwardly industry-focused to very macro-focused. Correct. And we've spent a lot of time debating the last couple of years, what happens to leisure? Where does it stabilize? Does it normalize? Where does BT ever stabilize to? Is there a structural loss? What happens to group business? I think we've largely answered all those questions now, like to a pretty close degree. I think the range of outcomes across each of those segments today are, are much more well-known and easier to underwrite. 
the supply picture is very clear what that's going to look like. And so now, not that it's any easier, but it's actually kind of refreshing to talk more about sort of macro considerations as opposed to some of these micro questions that we've been focused on. Yeah, look, I think it's it's an important part to highlight. We, first of all, we've been talking about this like impending downturn recession, I think in this panel last year. <laughs> so this has been you know, one of the more well-predicted recessions or downturns we've ever had. I think there's a, a couple things, and I've been repeating this you know, consistently in investor meetings to no avail, obviously, um, over the last couple of years. But one, like we haven't had in my frame of reference a downturn that hasn't been accompanied by kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience in a really long time. It was COVID, it was 9-11. Yeah, it was a financial crisis. Um, and we've gone into all of those downturns with supply that's running at five or six percent. Um, you know, to your point, like a couple percentage point decline in REPAR if and when it happened sounds pretty good. And you're doing that again when you've got supply growth that's going to be half of its historical average this year and probably every year for the next two, three, or, or four years. So I, I just think between that and what we've done to improve the operating models of these hotels, um, you can get very fixated on the current conditions are good, there's risk in the medium term. The long-term outlook for this business is tremendous. Um, there's gonna be very little supply growth. Um, you've, you've, I think we've consistently demonstrated that travel continues to steal wallet share. Um, this desire to, to, for experiences um, is, is very, very good for business. So I think the long-term outlook for the business is good. I think Scott said it very well. Um, a lot of this risk that we're talking about is macro level risk. It's not industry specific risk. Can I ask you guys a question? I mean. How often do your investors ask you about Airbnb these days? <laughs> never, never. Yeah. Actually, we get asked about ESG more than we do Airbnb <laughs> yeah. now, uh, which again is interesting given the context of all the other things we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, but but we don't at all, um, and and it's interesting. You know, I, I think we saw massive disruption. Um, we've weathered it, and people are far more focused on the fundamentals of our business. Interestingly, and, and to John's point, I think th there's been a meaningful shift in priorities for people that's been manifest in, in incredibly strong leisure business, even in the face of um, you know, high inflation where people have had to make choices about where they're going to spend money. Um, my sense is that over time, uh, you know, and, and faster than people expect, we'll see recovery in business travel as well. Um, there's something about being in front of people that's incredibly important um, and irreplaceable. And in an environment where we're not flooding the market with new supply, um, I, I think more of that increase in demand um, will show itself, uh, you know, and, and benefit us as uh, owners of existing hotels. Scott, how do the other markets, the uh, multifamily, uh, industrial, all the others compare? How's, what's Blackstone's view? Logistics, as strong as it's ever been from a fundamental standpoint, just continues to be extremely tight from a vacancy standpoint, very strong releasing spreads, continual sequential growth each month. So that feels extraordinarily well positioned and supply is very much in check in that segment. Um, housing markets obviously decelerated from the incredibly high growth rates that it was experiencing over the course of the last couple of years, but still seen releasing spreads in the mid single digits over the course of the last couple of months. There's obviously increased supply coming into a market that's been significantly undersupplied um, for a decade. Um, and so you're gonna see elevated supply for the near term um, and you'll see that get absorbed. And obviously the construction cost environment and the construction finance environment is gonna make that very challenging. So medium term, I mean, the, the country unfortunately continues to be underbuilt from a housing standpoint. And so we've got to find ways to bring more housing um, to people. So fundamentals in single family and, and multi and student housing, I think are very well set up. 
How about the glamping, John? Can you talk about that? Glamping? Glamping. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, we like the business. Um, it's, it, we, you know, I think fundamentally we're a believer. You know, first of all, it has kind of this cool fancy name, like it's really just a hotel. It looks a little different. Um, you don't stay in a, a, you know, a big 1500 room hotel like this, you stay in tree houses or spyglass units or something that, that's really interesting. I think fundamentally we just really like the unit level economics of the business, first of all. The yields are incredibly strong. They're you know two or two and a half X what we've seen in the traditional hotel space. Um, I think it fits very well with where guest preferences are emerging. And if we had to give like the 30 second elevator pitch on you know who some it is and how we think about investing, um, we get really focused on risk adjusted returns and we get really focused on our view of how guest preferences are evolving. And so this more outdoor experiential type of experience we think fits very, very well. Um, I think the, we've gotten a lot of receptivity on it. I think the question and the challenge for us is how we scale the business efficiently. So we spent you know, a lot of time trying to be thoughtful around, uh, around that. We've got one $5 million project. Um, we obviously didn't get into the business um, to do it at that level, uh, but we do think we'll be able to scale it. And again, we think the, the return profile of the business, uh, the sustainability of that return profile is really compelling. What's your glamping? Tell everyone. I'm sorry? What do you own? We own, uh, sorry, we own uh, a, a property called Onera in Fredericksburg, which is uh, a, a, in the Texas Hill Country and Wine Country just outside of Austin. Um, it's fun. I know how excited he was about it. That's He's so excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where he wants to go and take his, and take his wife. Uh, Scott, you mentioned the, sort of the, the underserved and the housing. I'm going to go to workforce housing because I think it's important. You guys obviously bought ESA, Extended Stay America. You bought uh, the Wood Springs portfolio from Brookfield. You've really leaned into that space. Anything you're foreshadowing us there? We really like it. Part of that underserved housing. Yeah, it was it was it was a, somewhat a derivative of housing um, and our strategy around that. We saw, you know, back in early 21, trends emerging in the housing space from a fundamental standpoint that we thought were really compelling. Um, they hadn't really flown through into the ESA business yet, and so we we sort of you know hypothesized that maybe it would it would be the same. It's sort of a form of transitional housing. Um, and it's, it's proven to be really successful so far. We've seen very similar trends play out. I would say um, that segment softened a little bit over the course of the last few months. Inflation, I think, is having an impact on, on people's um, you know, feeling of wealth and their ability to support some of these things. And so we've seen some of the trends slow down similarly as we've seen um, in the housing segment. But we just continue to believe um, that housing, extended stay, and it is hardcore extended stay that we're focused on. I mean, it is true, this is not average length of stay of three days, this is average length of stay of when we bought at 35, we're moving longer. Um, the Woodspring deal that we bought uh, was 60 days average length of stay. Uh, we recapped in-town business with Starwood as well, which is 180 day length of stay. And we feel like we're getting exposure to housing at an asset class where you're paying hotel multiples, which feels like a pretty good, a pretty good trade. Yeah, and you're gonna lean into that. We're leaning into that. Love it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Hilton or Marriott just announced a new brand today in that space. <laughs> so uh, if you were a developer today, where would you tell somebody to develop? Very different businesses. I mean, you know, Hilton Marriott are developing a product that caters to three-day average length of stay. That's not the business we're in. Yep. That's not the business we want to be in. Um, we're moving the business as further as we can away from that strategy. It's a unique business model. It, it has to be learned. ESA's been around a long time. Um, there's lots of ways you can make mistakes in that business. Um, it's a very local business. Um, it's really not a national brand and loyalty-based business. 
the way we run it. Um, and so we're focused on making sure we keep it the way it's meant to be, um, which is long-term stay, um, lower, lower experiential nature to it, just what people need. What they ask for is what they get. It's super clean, um, and people appreciate that. Okay, so you're doing uh, workforce housing, extended stay. You're doing glamping. Marcel, you're a developer today. Where are you spending your money? We we're going leisure, beachfront? We're, we're sticking to our knitting. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing, which is, no, we really focus on just luxury and upper upscale, uh, primarily top 25 lodging markets, key leisure destinations, and we haven't really wavered from that strategy. So our strategy really has been around how do we optimize this portfolio and how do we keep improving the quality of the portfolio, have a good, better growth profile over time. Um, so, you know, to, to Justin's point, I mean, none of us have been sitting on our hands, right? We've all done quite a bit over the last few years and we've gone through a pretty good transition on our portfolio between buying and selling where we're, we're pretty happy with the portfolio that we have. So looking for opportunities, it needs to be something that is a really good strategic fit for us that we think is gonna give us better growth than what our existing portfolio is gonna bring us. Um, and you know, we've done a few things over the last few years and we'll continue to look for those opportunities going forward. I'm gonna, um, that sounded like boardroom fluff. I'm gonna stay here. So do you think it's, uh, you think it's urban, like business travel, or do you think it's leisure? I mean, at least no, everybody we, already traveled. Are they still going to keep traveling? You know, I, I, think, I think Justin mentioned it earlier, right? I mean, I think we've seen the proof that people want to travel. They want to travel personally. They want to travel for business. They're forced to travel for business if their competitors are traveling for business. Um, people certainly like to get together for group meetings. So our philosophy has always been, you'll tell, you'll tell me it's board fluff again, but our, philo our philosophy has always been, not be dependent on just one particular segment. So we want to have a good mix of leisure, business transient, and group within our portfolio. And we want to be able to kind of shift between those segments to the extent that we have to, which obviously was a real benefit coming out of COVID where leisure demand was so much stronger than any of these other segments that we had a good portion of leisure focused at uh, hotels in our portfolio. We also had assets that were more, um, you know, meetings and business transient focused going into COVID, but we were able to shift and get some more of the leisure business coming out of it. So that's really going to be our strategy going forward. You know, we, you know, when I, when I told you what our strategy is, it's very easy for me to talk about that because it's been the same strategy from day right. one. You know, we, we didn't have to come out of COVID and say, we have to drastically change our portfolio. We have to change our strategy. We have to go chase this leisure demand because we already had it. Um, and we'll continue to make sure that we have that balance within the portfolio. And I'm going to put words in your mouth, but you think there's buying opportunities coming? I think there will be, certainly more so than today. And, and you know, I think we had that sense even before, you know, we keep talking about the last 14 days, but I think we had that sense anyway. And I think there'll be better opportunities as we get deeper into the year and as we get into next year. Scott, better opportunities coming? Has to be. Has to be. Has to be. It's not that fun doing, 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 doing no deals um, for nine months. It's a very challenging feeling actually um, to motivate a team um, and keep everyone engaged. I do think that the weight of debt, not so much for these guys who you know, have, have, have better balance sheets than private capital, but you know, debt service coverage went from two times to one times in you know, six months. Um, interest rate caps, all of a sudden people start talking about DSCR ratios and interest rate caps, things that people never, have never talked about before. Um, and they're not, they're, they're not cheap in this, in this environment. So I think those are coming. Um, I think the weight of capital from a capital investment standpoint is coming. I think the brands um, feel as empowered as ever. Um, 
to enforce standards, um, which have obviously been sort of pushed aside a little bit over the course of the last few years. And so you have all these things coming together, um, and then you have liquidity being squeezed in the system. So I do think there's opportunity coming, but I do think it's going to probably take longer than people think. Agreed. Justin, any final thoughts? We've got to wrap up here. <laughs> you didn't ask me where we're investing. Where are you investing? Where are you spending all your money? <laughs> the same place we have been. I, I, I mean, we've been doing the same thing for over 20 years through multiple cycles, and it works. We like upscale, select service, and extended staying. It, um, it's incredibly versatile, produces great margins, um, and you know, I, I think has weathered incredibly well. So boring, though. Huh? It's it's really not. Making money is not boring. And, uh, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, you look at it. I mean, right right now, we're paying six-ish uh, percent dividend yield and um, uh, with a share price that has a lot of room left to grow in it, which is, is great for a public company. There are a lot of people in this room who are producing yields even higher than that, even with higher interest rates. It's, it's a great place. What are you paying place. for hotels? What are we paying for hotels? Huh? It depends on the hotel. Oh, we know. <laughs> we know. I mean, the, the obvious question there is, you're, how do you pay a seven cap or an eight cap when you're borrowing at nine? Well, we're, we're not borrowing at nine. Because you guys yeah. are public and can borrow cheaper. We have and all cash. Yeah, our, our incremental borrowing rate's lower than that right now. Scott, what's your borrowing rate? Today, I would say it's probably close to nine yeah. this minute. I mean, so for four, so for what? So I mean, four. we'll say for five after tomorrow. Um, <laughs> right. And we raise tomorrow? Hang real fast. We raise tomorrow? 400 spread, I think, is probably about right for 65% uh, right now. So you're at nine. It's, it's, it's obviously expensive. We view it as temporary. Um, we underwrite it as temporary. You know, the, the forward curve will tell you rates, SOFA's going from five to three or two and a half, um, depending on the day you, you, you refresh your spreadsheet. Um, we think credit spreads, as the world gets more clarity, credit spreads compress. I mean, it's a total return game for these lenders as well, and it's all relative to inflation, so they're looking for real returns. Right now, real returns are lower because inflation's elevated. So as inflation normalizes, spreads will normalize, base rates will normalize, all in cost of capital in two years will probably be 6%. Um, and so that's how we kind of think about it. And we, we underwrite growth. And so you start out of the money. We're sort of looking, can we get to positive cash flow over two to three years under a reasonable case? And if we believe that, then you know, we're comfortable. Yeah, I think so, right? I, I think so. Let's stick with that. Yeah. Um, I think this is great. Uh, Jeff, you got a question? You're front row, always. You sure? <laughs> you want to ask him anything? Um, this is great. I hope you guys appreciate it and learn from these guys. They're walking around, tackle them, ask them questions. Uh, but I think it's the Main Street panel's coming out in a second. But I think it's important to hear what these guys are thinking. I'm going to sum it up because I got a minute. But, but the public guys have the cheapest cost of capital today. They're not spending any of it. Their stock's been impacted. But they haven't been buying for the last nine months, Scott, right? So, second half of 22. Previous to that, these guys were all the buyers. They had all the money, their cheapest cost in capital. There was tons of capital out there. And Scott was buying everything, right? ESA, uh, Wood Springs, buying anything he could possibly buy. And then the world changed. Interest rates shot up, the world shifted. And the Main Street guys became the buyers. For the last nine months, they have been the buyers. In fairness, we, we did buy hotels in October. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. There's no reporters here. <laughs> no one's checking. I, I mean, we know. You're wrong. We know. But hey. <laughs> what, what was my question? Tomorrow, the break. 
He did not see Oh, are they raising uh, tomorrow? What are they doing? Are they raising? Zero, 25, 50. What are they raising? 25. Yeah. 25. 25. 25. Jeff, what are they raising tomorrow? 25. Yeah. Who thinks they're raising 25 tomorrow? Who thinks they're raising 50 tomorrow? Who thinks they're not raising at all? Who thinks they shouldn't? Who wishes they wouldn't raise it all? <laughs> okay, that's good. All right, thank you guys. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.